0: This is Spade Spoon Soul, a podcast about all the ways food intersects with our faith, from seed to spade to spoon. I'm Brian Sellers-Peterson. I'm coming to you from Roslyn, Washington, over on the east slope of the Cascade Mountains, about 80 miles east of Seattle, on the land of the, the Yakima people. And um, I'm really Happy uh, to be here. And uh, uh, I'm going to pass the baton over to Jennifer um, so she can introduce our guest.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs, the Episcopal Bishop of the Diocese of Indianapolis, coming to you from downtown Indianapolis, right in the circle. And I am so excited because one of the things I got to do at the very beginning of my time on sabbatical was to finally, finally have an in-person meeting with our guest today. Um, Anna Woofenden is with us, and um, oh my gosh, I'm so excited for our conversation. She is the rector at St. John's Episcopal Church in Northampton currently, but hails from the other end of the country, in the Pacific Northwest, and- Woo-hoo! A, Pacific Northwest. Oh North yeah. <laughs> <laughs> has a, a journey of in life in food and farming that we'll hear all about. But she and our producer, Derek Weston, are the authors of the very new book just kitchen and invitations to sustainability cooking connection and celebration and so i'm going to tease that out we're not going to talk well we'll talk about all the things but we're going to begin this as a two-parter kind of conversation about the book and about um anna's incredible ministry and so anna welcome to the podcast
2: Thank you. I'm so glad to be here with both of you. And it is fun I'm just realize that we have these overlapping geographies on this screen from the Northwest to your time here in Northampton at Smith. So it's a joy to gather together uh, both on the screen, but also knowing that we have land in common, um, as well as many other wonderful overlaps in our our lives and the things that we care about. So it's a joy to be on this podcast. Love this podcast. Huge fan um, and really glad to be here.
0: Well, this podcast would not exist without Anna Wolfenden and Derek (laughs) Weston, because they are the co-hosts of the Food and Faith podcast, which we love um, and inspired us to do something similar but different. And we, okay, full disclosure, we kind of stole our opening question from Food and Faith podcast, also known as FFP
2: That's not really a secret, Brian.
0: I know. There's
2: no full disclosure there.
0: Yeah, well.
2: But you can't steal something that's freely given. We're so glad that questions are being used in the world.
0: Well, your question that you have asked over a hundred times is, what is your geography? So our question is, where are you rooted? Anna. Where are you most rooted right now?
2: Well, as um, you mentioned, I grew up in Northwest Washington and I had the, um, I think the, the joy and the, I think a more rare and rare experience of spending um, most of my life um, from an age about two and a half until I left home for college at 18 uh, on the same property. Um, and 10 acres. And my parents were kind of homesteadish folks um I know it's a kind of a complicated word but you know lived off grid and grew some of our own food and um suspending that that land is um is land that my um, dad still has and lives on to this day uh I think really formed me in that way of um being intimately connected um and you know back to the land is not all that it's cracked up to be to grow I mean, uh, in the ideals you know I think it looks better in a book and our documentary than it does necessarily you know it was hard it was it was not a there were a lot of things that as a child I wished that we had you know indoor plumbing and uh white bread you know like wonder bread that my friends had <laughs> um um and it formed me in ways that I deeply appreciate um in terms of being connected to the earth and the soil and the seasons and to the growing and um, making of and preserving of food. Um and just being out in the woods, you know, my I have so many memories of climbing trees and making tree forts and, you know, you go back today and oh that's where we played this or it was <laughs> in that way. Um so I'm still there's a deeply rooted ness to to land that I think really um, was nurtured in my childhood, um, and then I spent my adult life moving a lot, um, and uh, have places where there are you know eight years in the Boulder, Colorado area and going back and five years in LA, and um but now we've been here in the Northampton, East Hampton, um, Pioneer Valley of Ma- Western Massachusetts, going on our fifth year now, and it's starting to feel like. Um, after a season of a lot of a lot of moving for a decade or so that um, there's some some roots that I'm finding both in the community and finally in my own backyard which is not something I've had um, for most of my adult life so. Wow so um,
1: I don't think I so this is interesting to me because I do harbor this kind of idyllic fantasy about what living life off the grid and instead of, you know, being homesteaders might be. And yet you live in a really different environment and you've obviously through your adulthood have, have ad- adapted. And um, I'm wondering, are there parts of that that you still retain, like the parts of that rootedness and that way of living in the world that stayed with you or have stayed with you as you've moved around the country?
2: I think so. I mean, I think I mean, like still sound a little cliche on the podcasts that we host. But I, mean, I just think that the growing of food is the probably the biggest thing um and preserving. I mean, even like life is full right now, I didn't even get tomato sauce in the freezer this year, which I have done the last few years. I haven't canned, I don't know, in a decade. But there I mean, currently, in my oven from last night, there's the last of the parsley is being dried. <laughs> And, you know, I've got some big jars and I was doing mint yesterday and in and amongst. I think that, um, you know, I've moved a lot and had different, a lot of apartments with no room to grow food. But I always, you know, there's a pot of basil, at least, you know, that that's just that kind of idea that even if I can't do it to scale, that there's that that an essential of living is to have some connection of growing my own food or nurturing it somewhere else um and i think that uh yeah especially in kind of suburban lifestyle to not assume that the point of your yard is grass but to you know grow as much food as possible that that has definitely traveled with me and you know i can tell stories about different condos where i you know i d- Dug up the little, the, you know, the little tiny yard that had—it wasn't even a yard, but like a little strip of <laughs> that was, you know, landscape rock. One of my owned a townhome in Colorado and put as much, you know, edible food growing in that as possible, or the pots on the back porch or whatever it is. Um, so I think that has that has traveled with me, um, and I think that uh, we uh, we now live in a, a rectory, the clergy housing. Um, which is in East Hampton, and have a beautiful big backyard, which was kind of a, an open um, canvas, and now has, you know, eight raised garden beds and raspberries along the edges, and my husband's given me two fruit trees for each birthday since we've lived there, so we've got four t- t- fruit trees out front, and, you know, just kind of, it's a very different life than where I grew up, but there is that overlap of we, we can grow some of our own food. And even if it's not to the point where it's making that impact on like the grocery budget, it it is making that connection point. And I think it feels really important for me, for my daughter, who's um, almost three to have that kind of understanding that food comes from the ground and that, you know, we just planted uh, the daffodil bulbs the other day. And she's talking about like, put them to bed and they're going to come up in the spring, you know, just that kind of connective point um, that I grew up with. I feel like I, I value that deeply in a way that even in a different context that those rhythms can still um, are in me and can be nurtured.
0: You, you've um, you've uh, been in a lot of very different ministry contexts um, and talk a little bit about, you know, what's the through line uh, from, you know, Places like the Garden Church and um, St. Gregory of Nyssa and being a chaplain at Amherst. Uh, Now to being, I don't, there's no traditional rector anymore, but how you (laughs) kind of describe, you know, a rectory with a backyard um, sounds a little bit like some nostalgia I've pulled up.
2: Well, and I am sitting in an almost 200 year old church and, you know, with regular old walls and things like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. What's the through line? I feel like it's like you're in seminary and you have to do your spiritual autobiography and you kind of have this thing, but I want to, I'm going to try to answer that question fresh, not just, you know, in the rehearsed way. Um, so, I mean, I grew up somewhat unchurched and kind of church adjacent. Um, and uh, my dad's dad was a minister. and um you know I think that there was you know there's, this isn't his life my dad's life story, so I mean, but but I think there you know, there's there's complications in that. and we I think grew up with kind of a an adjacent to church, but it wasn't part of our regular, life in a big way as i was growing up and somehow i think that both the having it planted like i have some formative memories in church but then not having it be there gave me this kind of craving for it so i mean i went and um you know joined my friend's evangelical youth group but i don't know age 12 or something and um and not to i mean i won't get into my like whole spiritual autobiography but i think that there's some there's some like early draw that has kept pulling me back. Um, and something about awe and reverence and something about um, connectedness and not being alone. Um, and then I think a big piece is just what I see when people gather together to love God and love neighbor in community and I think maybe that's, that could be the through line is, yes, something about my own spiritual life, but that the through line is what happens when people together are doing spiritual life and thinking about such things and asking questions and living in that way. Um, And, um, and yeah, and I would say that my spiritual autobiography really is grounded in my experience in that church in middle school and high school and my experience in the church that i served in boulder colorado for most of my 20s and you know then this kind of wandering time of seminary and internships and you know and then grounded in the church that i planted in los angeles um the garden church and then some more wandering (laughs) here that um the through line is There's not denominational consistency in my story, which I could get into if we do. But and there's not um, very different kinds of churches and different kinds of communities. And the thing that is in common is people coming together to do life together within the context of. You know, a loving God who's caring for us and this call to walk in that way of love and justice and peace, whatever that meant in those communities.
1: Well, and, and I don't know all of those places, um, but I do wonder about how food shows up <laughs> as a theme in all of those places. I mean, I've, I used to worship at St. Gregory's, Nissa, and I remember the first time ever seeing the coffee hour just laid out on the altar that had just been the place where Eucharist had been pre- celebrated and presided over. And I just thought, oh my gosh, you know, and then, you know, their food pantry, their um, food program. So food seems to also maybe per- perhaps be a, a theme Runs yeah. through. Can you talk a little bit about
2: that. Yes. No. Absolutely. And I think that I think maybe that was kind of that's like my easy answer, but I, right. <laughs> but I'd love to get into. But it's true too, right? It's yes. true too. Um. Yeah. And I don't. I, you know, it's interesting because I think that um, I when I trace that thread back, it doesn't go back as far in an explicit kind of way. Um, mm-hmm. but certainly, um. I'm sure was embedded. but um, I would say in seminary is when I was able to start articulating that and to really articulate that my my draw to communion to Eucharist and my um, care for and interest in and connection with food justice and food connection in general is that it was during seminary that I was able to articulate that in some more particular ways um. And then my um, first year, first summer of seminary, I did an internship at um, um, in Washington D.C. at Bread for the World, which does you know food, faith-based um, food advocacy, and it was such an eye-opening experience in terms of learning about more food advocacy and food justice in general. And it was also this moment where I had a I had a kind of a clarifying moment of, yes, I'm so glad people are doing like dedicating their lives to advocacy and i will will always want to be adjacent and supportive of that um but that it was that moment where i was like but i'm called to be part of a particular community and be in a spiritual leadership role within a particular community and then like how does that context you know how is that enlivened by this connection of food sacrament you know justice um so So, yeah, so I think that that really started me on my journey. And, you know, I mean, interning at St. Gregory of Nyssa was was just one of the biggest miracle gifts of my life. And I still look back and I'm just like, that was the Holy Spirit all the way. And so such a long shot and such a gift um, and incredibly formative. And I will often say, you know, that that's when I became an Episcopalian in my heart. And it took me about a decade before it made sense, like, polity wise to be in this really. but that was like, like cause that shaped me in such profound ways um and the explicit um I mean I think the care for Eucharist is something that many Anglicans sh- share and the explicit ways that that community at St. Nyssa and the food pantry um bring Eucharist alive and it flows out into the life of the community um, It's just profound, it had a profound impact on me um, well, and really informed the work of the Garden Church and has really, and just informed my faith journey and conversation um, ever since. Um, Totally is, uh, people will say, say, um, you know, Jennifer, since you are here this spring, We've been messing with things here at St. John's. Oh,
1: I've seen a few things on Facebook.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we now have a, uh, we're in the round and the altar is round. And um, anyone who's been to St. Gregory's will be like, oh, and I'm like, yes, yes. I trained there. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh. um, and it's, but it's, I think as as we all know, there's something really um, profoundly um alive about connecting our sacrament to um to, to life, to the world, that it, it means something. It it means something in that moment of sacrament and it means something because it points to how the world around us is sacramental and, and is alive and holy in that way. So yes, absolutely food is a thread. A hundred percent. Um and continues to 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 pull me in to um, keep me in curiosity around, you know, what is God teaching us through this basic elemental thing? Mm.
0: You know, and I've never asked you, um, and maybe I just need to reread your book, but remind everyone or tell everyone for the first time little bit of the genesis story of the garden church but before that i just kind of like i learned something new about you we are both bread for the world alumni i oh. was i was I, the think I did vaguely know that about you yeah i was a regional <laughs> organizer for bfw back in the olden days um but tell us a little bit about the garden church i'm think we sure. need to know
2: yeah, so um, I mean, as I just mentioned during seminary, and it really was that summer at Bread for the World that gave me this crystallizing of the the commitment to wanting to have a ministry focus around food and eating together, and how that and and food insecurity and the uh, clarity that the call felt like I wanted to be within. Like explicit liturgical spiritual community, um, and not that there aren't many many under other wonderful ways to do that work, but that felt like clarity of my call. Um, I had gone to seminary with church planting on the heart, which I, which is not I guess no small thing because it's a ridiculous thing to do. I mean, it's it's <laughs> kind of like, uh, but the church that I served as in a lay position um, in Boulder, Colorado, was a church plant. I was there um, like year uh 8 to 16 or something you know so so i i've been in this church planting world and and that really felt like part of the call that um precipitated all the things that needed to happen for me to to go to seminary um and so so throughout seminary it was sort of like okay i feel called to church planting and there's something about food um and then my year at saint gregory of nissa um in San Francisco, I had this dual internship at the food pantry, um, which takes place in their sanctuary and um, in the congregation. And my mentor, Sarah Miles, um, gave me this guiding question at the beginning of the year, and she said, "She said, here's the thing I want us to keep, you know, to reflect on throughout this year is what is how does the liturgy of Sunday, which we know what we we know what we mean when we say that." and the liturgy of the food pantry on Friday which happens physically in the same place um at the liturgy of how do those overlap and and what do we lo- what do we learn about overlapping those two um and i would say that that in many ways the garden church came was made, not the answer as in the answer but it was a it was an expression of what that exploration of layering the sunday liturgy and the Friday food pantry literature on top of one another. Um, And, you know, the whole long Genesis story of Garden Church, I won't get into all the details, but I'll tell you from from there, from that question, um, uh, found a um, empty lot in uh, San Pedro, which is the the outskirts of Los Angeles down by the port. Um, And, um, you know, long long stories, read the book, (laughs) but really experimenting with what does it look like to have a place where people are working together and worshiping together and eating together? Um, What does it look like to be a place that it's focusing on reconnection to God and the earth and one another and our food? Um, And what does it look like to kind of mess with, mix them like, and not, not have those be separate things. Um, At the time I, you know, Books like Brian's early book were, you know, on my shelf. I I knew about a lot of churches that had gardens, and I knew about a lot of farms that had some faith based component. Um, but there was not a huge network of explicitly liturgical communities that were doing ag work or being outdoors. Um, you know they. I now know that some of them existed, but they weren't necessarily named as such in a way that there wasn't the network there is today. Um, so that was really the question was, what does it look like to actually be a church and a small urban farm at the same time? Um, and that, that those things are uh, are interwoven. Um, I'm going to pause because I see like a question. No, no, no you I want to keep going? Okay. Well, yeah, no, yeah. keep going. Because I just,
1: I mean, I, there's like this consistency in your life about how, like over and over again, you're saying in different ways about making the liturgy mean something out in the world and keep reducing the disconnect between what we do at any altar in a sanctuary and what we pray and what we're actually doing with our hands and our lives out in the world. And I just, I'm just taking all of that in. Like, it's just, you may not be quite aware of just in this podcast, how in several different stories, you have made that really clear. And it's just, it's really great.
0: She, she, Jennifer's taking it, in at the same time, she's getting really excited. Yeah. So <laughs> <easy>. <laughs> Sorry,
1: can't help it. Oh, I'm,
2: I'm <laughs> that. I appreciate you naming that, that that feels true. And I don't know if I quite had said it that way before, right? yeah. And I, and I think that, um, I mean, I think what I've seen at the Garden Church, and it's amazing, thanks to the leadership of the um, number of clergy, In years since, um, particularly the Reverend Dr. Amanda Riley, um, it's still going. Like it's still there. And I think what we see is people encountering church in the broadest of terms and the most grounded of terms in a way that um, it might have not, you know, people would never walk into a traditional church building are suddenly sharing in communion together and both explicitly in the sacrament and also in. Community meal and in gardening together um, and all sorts of people who you wouldn't connect with otherwise are are there together which I think I think is what church should be in general I mean that's that's my hope in general yes. is that we come around the altar because and because not because we all agree or not because we all think the same way or have the same walk of life, but because we're all being drawn together. Um, and that doesn't always happen in our traditional churches, maybe as much as we might yearn for. Um, so examples like the food pantry, like my experience at the garden church um, and what I see continuing to happen, I feel like there could be like a little foretaste of, I think this is a, this is kingdom of heavenly texture, right? Like this is, this is, this is that little thing to say, Oh, you know, it's it's not that it's easy. Not that it's like, it's, it's not about like ideal, idyllic. It's more like the gift of the gritty kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. That's like saying, Oh, this is living a little uncomfortable, but here I am with people from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life. Um, people you know, living in poverty, people who have great wealth, people who have education, I mean all, all of it, right? and um and that the thing that we have in common is that we're being drawn around God's table together, and we're hungry. And you know all we need to be to eat here is hungry. Something happens that's um just it's profound. It's of God.
1: That's beautiful. And I think, um, you know the painting of the banquet, or the you know kingdom of God, and like in kingdom of heaven. I um, the, when you say gritty kingdom of heaven, I'm like yes. Like how else could it be? Because we would be showing up not sort of everyone all of a sudden dressed in our refined whatever, but we're going to show up as we are, and we are all so uh, such a variety of humans, and so it's messy and gritty, and we're it's. a loveliness and redemption uh, by redeeming that word in a beautiful way that i love when you use it that way yeah
0: it 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 reminds me of a story that um jennifer and i heard yesterday um we're recording a whole bunch of episodes over these two days and so um this will be a teaser um but anna shine who is um, a creation care missioner, a priest in Boone, North Carolina. Um, she says, "I don't want to get in trouble, but you know they had outdoor church in the garden, but they had zucchini bread for for Eucharist." Um, <laughs> don't tell the bishop. <laughs> don't tell the I know. don't I tell know. the bishop. <laughs> yeah, Jennifer put her fingers it. in her ears. She's not going to tell Jose anything <laughs> but, oh. but yeah that that real earthiness um and I, I kind of it reminded me jennifer of another experience i had with you uh after you finished the chicago half marathon about uh you know 10 years ago 11 you know, years ago I,
1: september 11
0: years ago <laughs> and i plotted through but then we went over to a church of saint Paul and Redeemer, Redeemer and same yeah. and you know they in their garden they've got a baptismal font on one end of their garden and they've mm-hmm. got a, a you know um a Eucharist table well really it's a work table in so many ways it's uh and uh those images are so powerful
1: yeah yeah
2: well and it makes me think too that so I mean one of the things that as a church planter which is always going to be Part of me that I'm really, uh, I shouldn't say it I'm actively resistant to is when people kind of say like, put these like church plants up on this pedestal and say, well, that's great. Like you're showing us, you know, either it's, that's the future of the church. You know, we, all the churches are garden churches or, you yeah. know, well, sure you can do that that way. And I have to like take such, um, You know, and so I've always kind of pushed back and said, no, this is like one expression. It's one set of, you know, explorations. If the learnings from this can help the broader church, great. We really hope that that's the case. Yes, we hope that this has an influence to the broader church, but it's not like the answer. It's not like there's one magic like future of the church. Um, And it gives me just such great delight to be in a, quote, traditional setting now and to say, you know especially where we are in the world today in the church, we all need to be church planters in some way. Uh-huh. And that the longing that is answered in these more alternative settings or whatever we want to say um, is the same longing. It's the same longing of how do we make the liturgy real, right? How do we, how does faith matter in our life and in the life of the world? And that our our tradition and our, our liturgy and our prayers, they actually do answer that. And sometimes we maybe have just heard them in a certain way for so long that it kind of got stuck, but that when we can unstick, it's not that we're doing something totally new. And I just, I mean, I see that here at St. John's that you know, we made some, honestly, liturgically kind of minor shifts and changes, like some physical things, which, you know, we were doing straight up Book of Common Prayer, like it wasn't, it wasn't anything fancy, right? Like it wasn't anything. Um, But something theologically can can shift something, you know, interpersonally can shift. Um, And I think about where you have a, a dinner church that we do um, a couple times a month. And, just having the liturgy with the fresh baked bread and people saying, Oh, I suddenly see Eucharist differently. You know, what's different? Wafer, fresh baked, baked bread. But these things that are seemingly small, I feel like can unlock something bigger. And that's, I have I've gratitude for communities like church plants or, you know, for some of our good news garden communities that are, that are doing it explicitly because that, I think can then be reflected back and explored in our what we might have call, call more traditional settings, and um, and life can come into it in a different way. And it's not, um, yeah, that that life is not contained to the alternative spaces. It actually it, it can come alive in things that we might have thought were kind um, of stayed in a way that. I don't think they are. I think the Holy Spirit's perfectly willing to work with any of it. I think she's like, let's go. Okay. <laughs>
1: I mean, you're reminding me, I spent so much of my time because we have a couple of newer congregations in the diocese in the last decade. And um, often someone will say, oh, wow, we we can't do what Good Samaritan does, or we can't do what the table does. And I'm like, sure you can't. Why, why, yeah, why don't you? Right. right. And this, you know, different permissions and uh, there's different levels of courage about what people think are possible because we've you know we've always done it this way and yet uh, that question isn't a direct expression of that longing for oh we want a taste of that we just have to figure out how but we see it and we know that there's ways to kind of revive perhaps or reconnect us to the the most important things that we do sacramentally every week but now we see this other thing, and we can do it. We just don't know how to begin. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing because I think there's so much of the church writ large which is year- yearning for that. I think that's a part of the general. How do we get unstuck as a whole denomination? And it's trying to figure out how to learn from the places that are just giving us glimpses. You know, to, not saying copycat, but like find your way, experiment, yeah. try new thing.
2: And I think, and to do it with um intention and theological intention i mean i think that that's Mm -hmm. the thing that's sometimes like well we can't do that and that's just a fad or that's just cool or you know and instead to say actually if when we dig deeply into our tradition we find these things i mean i think that's something that i'm so grateful for my mentors at saint gregory's really saying like it's it's not about like new and cool it's about why do we do this thing you know I, i i get choked up but i all you know i've and we'll say that worshiping in the round, one thing that happens is that, you know, when the priest lifts up the body of Christ, you look to the body of Christ in the host and the bread, and then you see the body of Christ around you across it,
1: right? Like Yes, yes, yes. So I'm just going to say that churches that worship in the round, this is my, I, I can almost do a science experiment, but it's like churches that worship in the round or in the square where you see faces are actually different congregations. And I can almost, I mean, I'm not oh, quite go to, to tell, <laughs> but it's, it's an interesting thing because I served a church where the altar was in the middle and the, well, there's something different about worshiping and doing the things we do in church and looking at people's backs of heads versus looking at their faces. And I think over time it transforms the community. I really, I believe that with all my heart. And so I'm excited to hear about how that, how that goes and what you observe out of that, because um, I think it'll change St. John's.
2: Well, yeah, my a whole mind other, like conversation that I like. What? could we spend like an hour on that conversation? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I yeah, want to hear
1: everything. <laughs> let's,
0: yeah, my mind raced to St. Mark's in the Bowery, yeah. um, which is yeah. another one of those churches, and I remember, even though I I had watched it happen at St. Gregory's, but you know, you know the dismissal where the people come in and fold up all the altar linens. And then another group comes out with the tablecloth and then another group comes out with all the food. Um, you know, oh. it's sort of like I came away just sort of walking on air because I, and so yeah, in the round. Mm-hmm. Gotta have well, some more conversations about that.
2: Yeah, I look forward to hearing like the whole, the, yeah. And I will tell you that in the last, it's been like four and a half months. We have been changed. Yeah. We have been changed, and I mean, a year and a half ago, I would love to do it, but I would have said it was five years off. You know, I mean, I somebody said, "What would you do if da 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 da?" And I was like, "Oh, I'm not ready to get fired yet." I mean, those literally were my words, and you know, when you things didn't change, and it was the right time, and and it's it's transformative. So I'm so, I really would love to have that conversation or, and I think that there's something, and I think it is connected to faith, to food. And I think that there's a food thread in this, in that it's not, it's about that coming around, coming together, it's about bringing it alive and and that the people matter, right? Like the people in the room um, matter in that way. And that that is um, something that you know we learn throughout all of our, our food faith conversations. Yeah. There, I, I I tried, I tried the segue us back. well So, so that's <laughs> a good
1: segue because um one of the, when I was with you in May, I had an amazing meal that was just thrown together. I was there for my reunion at Smith College, remember? And I was hungry and you said, oh, there's some food in the kitchen from the manna. Um, lunch and it was the most delicious we just pull something from the kitchen kind of meal with these fresh vegetables and the rice and all of that so our question that we always like to ask is what dish or meal makes you sigh with comfort with cooking comfort like when you want that "Mm," you know feeling what's that dish
2: Mm. so this has been taken different forms throughout my life but throughout my life anything with potatoes and if there's potatoes and cheese, that, that will, um, it, my throughout childhood, and this is still true, there's this, um, just potato kugel dish that my mom would make that I'd always request for my birthday. So, you know, grated carrots and potatoes and onions and, you know, egg and breadcrumbs and, and, you know, cooked and then baked and then topped with cheese. Um, and then recently the thing that is my favorite thing to cook right now. And also the thing that I'm just like, Oh, this is the best is, um, there was a restaurant in Northampton that sadly closed during the pandemic, um, that had this, they're called fried smashed potatoes. And I, um, asked their chef if I could have the recipe before they closed and they were very generous. And, um, and so, um, I've been making these fried smashed potatoes as of late. Um, and I, I got a Blackstone grill this summer. It was like, well, it's actually my, my gift to myself with the book advance, I, you know, mostly it paid off the car and that's great. <laughs> but I was like, I want one of the like fun things. So I got a Blackstone grill. So I've been making these fried smashed potatoes on the grill. And the best ones were the ones where I used the potatoes from my garden the other week. Um, so, actually, when Shannon and Derek were here for the book launch last month, I went and dug up. It was a very just kitcheny thing. I dug up the potatoes and scrubbed them up and on the grill. And they're just like crispy and soft and just so anything oh potato, goodness. but particularly those, that's, that's the one that I, that's getting me right now.
1: Yeah, sounds so good. So good.
0: Wow. Okay. So, um, need that recipe. We need to post yeah, that it, recipe okay well it's is not it in actually even
2: like a no i mean it's like i don't even have it written down it's just you know i i I, I'll, I need to try to write it down i
0: think we can i think we can all figure it out can't we
2: yeah it's you know there is a secret which i'm not going to tell you on the on air but <laughs> maybe oh, okay. i will
0: eventually, <laughs> <laughs> eventually. okay <laughs> then you come back with derek and so what I want everyone who's listening to do is go out and buy the just kitchen by Anna Wolfenden and Derek Weston. And sometime early next year, we're going to have a virtual book signing. I don't know how that's going to work. Let's
1: figure Uh, that
0: out. We'll, we'll, we'll we'll figure something out. Um, But so get this book. It's a great Christmas book, uh, present book uh, for all your foodie gardener, um, friends, just people who like to eat. So get, get The the Just Kitchen it's published by Broadbe- Broadleaf Press and you can get it at your local bookstore and, and certain other online um, places but get that book. Um, but you know, thanks for today. This has been fantastic and so we're going to wrap it up and you know, if you want to know more about us, Uh, We're still kind of low tech. So go to our Facebook page uh, for those of you who have Facebook Um, and that's just Spade Spoon Soul uh, podcast or pop us an email at Spade Spoon Soul podcast at Well,
1: Anna, thanks so much for being with us today. We want to thank your good friend and our good friend, Derek Weston, who will be, um, making this podcast sound pretty and doing all the things that producers do. We couldn't do all of this without him. And um, also, all of you who tune in each time, we're so grateful for you.
0: So until next
1: time, we hope you will find ways to connect
0: your soul to your spade or spoon or both.
1: Okay. Bye everybody.